0: Good morning, everybody. I'm Troy Hudkins. This is my podcast, Lessons for Life, and today's guest is Aaron Cole. Aaron, thank you for joining us and taking the time to be here today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Troy.
0: That's awesome. Um, you look like you're in your gym. You just had a, a bit of a workout this morning to get your blood pumping.
1: You betcha. Just finished a little bit of a workout. Um, we've been revamping our gym, so we have a heavy bag now on a track, and so nice. it was our, for my first workout on it since it's been hung in its new place, and it was amazing. Yeah, awesome. I feel alive. It's great.
0: Awesome. Yeah, it's good to get the blood flowing and get invigorated first thing in the morning.
1: Yeah, and one of the nice things about the time that we're going through right now where lots of people are at home, and we're all um, you know, gifted a lot of downtime, is we can really take care of ourselves.
0: Right gives yeah. you some time to work on your own health and wellness. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So to start with, my first question, who is Aaron Coe?
1: Oh boy. The existential question. Uh well, you know, spiritually Aaron Coe is just one tiny piece of the whole of the oneness. Um, in this human life, in this day and time, as defined by, you know, the other people around me, I'm a, you know, I'm a daughter, I'm a wife, um, I'm a mom, I, you know, I have a a long history in business and fitness and health and wellness. And I also have a tough past, you know, a long history of depression and you know, suicidal anxiety and before anxiety was, was, um, diagnosed, you know, as a, as a condition or a disorder or a symptom. And so, um, I came from a, a really anxious and dark place and had to get to better. I had to get more alive. And so the story of how I got to the journey of where I define myself as who I am now, you know, is, is that, you know, I was depressed, I was suicidal, I was a teenager, I was institutionalized. I came out in search for a feeling and I didn't know what that was. And then eventually I found it, you know, I, I was looking for it in a career. I didn't recognize that it was a, a, the feeling of purpose and meaning, you know, a life feeling that I was seeking until I found it, you know, in an accidental job becoming a personal trainer. It nice. was which was very unplanned, you know, um spontaneous and, and very gracious. And then I got into, you know, helping people resolve the same challenges that I had, and it was very liberating. It was very liberating to do for myself and then to share it. And nice. it became the body of my life's work. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, we'll get into a little bit of that, you know, your your training and stuff in a little bit, but Let's start with some questions about your, your family. Like your, who was your biggest influence in your life? Do you think your mother or your father?
1: Oh man. I want to say that my mom for a long time was the biggest influence. And then it switched for a while, you know, very dramatically switched. And, and, you know, now I think it's kind of a good balance of both. And I'm very fortunate that at times they let me influence them. Not always, <laughs> but it, at was, times they let me influence them. And, and that's, you know, very trusting of them.
0: I had an interview with somebody the other night and uh, they were talking about their young kids and their kids are eight and 10. And she said, you know, I'm supposed to be the teacher of these children and these children teach me so much mm-hmm. So, yeah, hopefully your parents let you influence them and, and give them some things they maybe don't <laughs> understand or know at this time. Do you, do you feel the difference between the influence from your mother and father? You said it started out with your mother. Do you think maybe that's because as a younger child that maybe they were the comforter?
1: Yeah, I, I definitely heavily believe in the, you know, this idea that our our nurturer, this place where we come from that, that protects our lives, you know, and primarily brings them into the world is a biochemistry. You know, there is a, a definite animal instinct to bond with that baby um, and be the primary caregiver. And, you know, some of it is because... Um, you know, there's a, there's the physical contact of baby breastfeeding with mother and there's, and you know, there's all that, you know, cuddling and stuff, but also, um, you know, that, that's where we come from. So I think we have a sense of that's home. Right. Whereas, you know, um, dad's come into the picture a little bit later when there is, you know, when they, when they can come and do their thing. So. Um, to a certain degree, I think that there was a higher level of interaction for sure. There's more of a, you know, a hormonal instinct to to be bonded to mom. And I had a pretty traditional nuclear family, right? My mom was a quintessential mom. My dad was a quintessential dad. So he went to work and, you know, by the time I was, I was eight, my mom was staying home with me full time from, from from work, right? So when I was home from school, she was there. And it was, I, we, you know, I I was very lucky. I had a very good childhood. So nice. Very good parents. Yeah. And so later on, I more identified with my dad because I rebelled and I rebelled a lot against my mom. Like I rebelled against both my mom and my dad, but my mom and I have a very similar strong personality. My dad is the nice guy. (laughs) So of course, yeah, of course I sided with him um, in my, teenage rebellion
0: yeah yeah Yeah, and and every family has that we all rebel against one or the other parent at some point you know and and sometimes i think that's where the switch comes between your one parent being an influence to the other parent being an influence Mm -hmm. because maybe as you're growing you're starting to maybe bond a little more with the other one and you're starting to push the other one away a little bit oh
1: yeah you
0: know what i mean so i do (laughs) Yeah. Um, so of all the good traits from your mother, what is one that you would like to be able to pass along to your younger generations?
1: Um, respect of all people and all things. When I was growing up, my mom was very liberal in her thinking, you know, that nobody deserves to be discriminated against and that it doesn't, it doesn't really matter how much we don't understand you know, why somebody behaves the way they behave um, that, you know, they don't need our judgment. Now the world has changed a little bit and times have gotten a little scary and she's gotten a little bit um, further away from her 18th birthday. And so <laughs> a and little so, bit, <laughs> yeah. And so she's become much more conservative over the years, which I think happens to most people. Right. And So, you know, that's kind of our natural progression in our thinking and our way of life and our desires and our, and our longing for safety. So, um, yeah.
0: Okay. What about the traits from your father? Is there one that you would pick that you would pass on to your younger generations?
1: Oh, my dad is so nice. He's so kind. You know, this is, and that's, that's, this is really what he's known for. You know, when people talk about my dad, they talk about what a good man he is. Nice. What a nice guy he is. That's yeah, awesome. it is really awesome. He's, um, yeah, he's a very, very good hearted human being. And so that is, you know, I want to honor that in him and go sprinkle that around the world in my own children, but also, you know, in, in whomever. In who, right. In anybody you
0: anybody you come in contact with really right i mean that's yeah. that's one of the things is to be a, an influence to those around you mm-hmm. yeah whether, whether it's your close circle or an extended circle mm-hmm. nice yeah. um did you did you have siblings are you an only child
1: i am an only child yeah
0: okay so yeah i i go ahead sorry
1: i was gonna say like it's kind of a funny story. I have a half-sister I've never met on my mom's side, but I grew up an only child and I don't know my half-sister.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, so then obviously growing up, you had friends and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say would be one of your friends that had the largest impact in your life? Oh,
1: my goodness. What a uh, tricky question. I had very transient friendships when I was younger. Um, I think so. I've had a friend, um, Cherie, for a really long time. I was actually friends with her younger sister when I was a teenager growing up. We went to the same school. And then her and I became friends. And she taught me a really valuable lesson about being able to just show up as who I was and that she was never going to like wish for me to be different, even if she wanted a different outcome. And that it's been, it was, it's, it's probably my, my life's most profound friendship. Um, but I have so many, you know, I have a girlfriend who is like the other, she's like the other half of my soul, right? Her name is Tamara, yes. and she, yeah, and her and I um, have gone through tons of time over the years where we weren't talking, uh, because I'm stubborn, and I was, and, you know, <laughs> Um we had a friend breakup and then it was, it's really because of her persistence over many, many years over and over and over again that we rekindled our friendship. She was actually the first person I contacted when I uh, signed up for Facebook. I was a, a very late adopter of Facebook. So.
0: Nice. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So who would be your idol? Who would you look up to and say, I want to be like them or, you know, oh. I want to do what they do or how they, what they stand for
1: my goodness. Um, that's a great question. I would like to have the equanimity and the sense of humor and, and, you know, all encompassing open hearted lovingness of the Dalai Lama. Nice. I would love, yeah, I would love to be as selfless and as thoughtful, um, as mother Teresa.
0: Nice.
1: I would love to give as much peace and ease and grace into the world as so, so many of, of the role models in my life have given.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: So, yeah.
0: Awesome. How important is education in your life?
1: Well, learning and expanding in terms of education is incredibly important. I never did post-secondary. I got my high school diploma when I was 35 years old. Um, but I've continued to get to be curious and to teach myself things that I find valuable and to, um, how, how to think because you don't really learn how to think critically and for yourself and expansively and creatively in school. Um, unless you find a way to do that for yourself. Right. So nice. Yeah. I have, I have massive, full exploding bookshelves all over.
0: Great. Always yeah. learning,
1: always learning, always growing. If we're not right. growing. We're dying.
0: Right. Right. And nev- says that. Yeah. Yeah. Never stop yeah. because that's never when stop. things get stagnant.
1: And you don't feel good about yourself. You know, if you are not feeding your mind and your body with, something that grows you you're feeding yourself with things that deplete you and you feel that and the more we do that the more we want to do that right so right. Right. the more we do it's opposite the more we want to do that
0: yeah. yeah awesome so which which form of education do you think carries more importance would it be classroom or life lessons
1: mm, that's uh also a a dichotomous question i think that there's value in both i don't think i d- i don't subscribe to the traditional western public school um, method of learning so there's a curriculum for everyone they regurgitate things they don't necessarily get why they're learning it and, and they don't retain it it's a it's a memorize regurgitate move on to the next thing so right um in terms of that classroom, I don't find that a very valuable learning experience, except for the value of learning how to sit through when you don't really want to, like there's a value in the self-discipline right. of that. Um, and, and over the years, you're, you learn several skills um, that keep order in the world, right? But if you're talking about a classroom where you go to a live event, you know, and you're surrounded by hundreds or thousands of other people or even dozens of other people who are hungry for the same things that you are, who want to grow and who are there to be vulnerable, that, you know, the atmosphere, the friendships, um, the courage that's created there, that kind of classroom is
0: incredibly valuable. Right. And I always think, like, classroom setting or learning in a group like that You learn basics, you learn things. Mm -hmm. But to actually grow on that, you have to go out and do life skills. You have to go into the real world and put those things to work. Like everybody needs to know math how to add, how to subtract, how to multiply. Mm -hmm. But you learn it in school. But when you get out in the real world, you learn a lot more than just while you learned math yes right so there's lots of things to it i think yes um so yeah
1: like i mean living is a lab right
0: exactly it's and you know constant learning right i mean Uh forever
1: yes
0: um so with with learning how do you know when you know
1: When you can teach it to someone else and it's effortless. Nice. And you know before that, but you don't own it like it's yours. Right. Right. There are stages of knowing, but when you 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 know, when you really like when it lives inside of you, you can teach it and it's effortless. You breathe it. Like that. You speak it. Yeah. You see it in everything.
0: Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's an awesome answer. That's excellent. Have you ever played sports in your life? Do you ever do that kind of thing?
1: So I really haven't. Um, you know, gym, my phys ed growing up, we did a little bit. We dabbled in basketball, volleyball, you know, but, to, but I was never an athlete. I danced a bit when I was a kid.
0: Okay. Uh, I took
1: swimming lessons that I failed at. I just actually relearned to swim last year. It was 30 38 I think or 37 when I learned and um gymnastics for a very very short time but other than that you know I've lifted and I and I teach yoga um but as for as for sports growing up I was I was a bookworm I was a geek so no
0: sports okay. so <laughs> so you've you've weight trained you do do uh all kinds of training. Do you run and stuff? Like what is, what, I am is not your, a runner. No, what is your motivation in the gym?
1: Oh, my motivation is to figure out what my body is capable of. So as a yogi, you learn how to be really present with what you're experiencing and the body is a very miraculous and marvelous thing. And is, it, it, you know, has a potential. I'll never, I will never fully achieve my body's potential in this lifetime but I want to push it to see what it is capable of because I, I get better and better as time goes on. And there's, you know, the, the freedom of that trumps anything else I've ever experienced. You know, we all, we all long for that feeling of freedom in our soul and that feeling comes from something we generate, you know, when we feel powerful, when we feel capable right, and, uh, and, and being strong and healthy and and able to do things that are you know pretty outrageous like you know my best friend could jump the height of a a picnic table and the length of the yoga mat um and he was a grandpa right so being able to do th- <laughs> being able to do things like that uh it feels amazing it feels like uh, you're truly alive in your body
0: right yeah. so,
1: so so more
0: of that you push to always be better than you were last time
1: mhm
0: like every time you go to the gym mhm
1: and i will tell you this as as our body ages it changes right so what was what we were better at before is not necessarily a place where we can keep excelling anymore we may need to switch gears and go in a different direction and i i you know in the last 5 years i've definitely experienced that my body wants a, a shift in the type of training I was doing a lot of really heavy lifting and stuff. And um, now my body is really longing for more cardiovascular, more sweating, more heavy breathing, more fast-paced moving. So I'm hitting the heavy bag. We have a cardio machine here. Um, I TRX often, and I I travel with my TRX. So, um, and even lots of walking, right?
0: Yeah, nice. Okay, so what is your biggest fear
1: well my biggest fear for the longest time was that i was gonna i was not gonna be able to support myself and i was gonna end up homeless and living in a cardboard box which is really an outrageous fear when i took a look at it um you know i have such great friends and family and that would never happen and i've been really capable um even when i was incompetent about going out and making a living, so the fact that I panicked about it for for so long was ridiculous, right? I actually learned about it at a uh, unleash the Power Within seminar with, with Tony Robbins. you know this is this is the thing that as, as I speak about my devolving fears, you know what is the root cause, and that was the root thought of my fear, but I also came to learn through. Tony Robbins' work and actually his coach training program, which I I took the education of a few years back, that everyone's deepest fear is that we're not enough, you know, that we won't be loved. And we all have a pesky, nagging voice inside of us that says, you're too old, you're too young, you're too tall, you're too short, you're too fat, you're too, you know, poor, you're too middle class, you're whatever it is, you're not adequate enough. In this way that you wish you were, you think you could be if you were at the height of your self-discipline, and it's taken me years and years of knowing that I needed to accept myself, um, and a lot of life experience to finally be able to do that—to love who I am while I'm becoming who I want to be. Right.
0: Right. And that's a journey all in itself, right?
1: It really is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, excuse me. What? What is your, so with you having a fear like that, what is your why?
1: What is my why as to why I get up in the morning and why I do what I do? Sure. Um, you know, when you go from a place where you don't feel like you're worthy of living and you think that the world would be better off without you, And then you finally discover you were put on the planet to help others and that you needed to hurt, to learn, you know, the compassion, the empathy, the desire to spark the desire to be helpful and to fulfill that, you know, purpose of service to others, making their lives easier, you know, and better and kinder and more powerful. That's my why, you know, I was, I think that I got through that time with the blessing of the universe saying hey this is this is not to break you down this is to build you up and i believe that we all that that everybody experiences hardship, experiences hardship for that reason
0: right right and yeah. you've you've getting into the training and and coaching and stuff you've helped a lot of people
1: yeah what? and it's helped me incredibly i mean i i never thought that i would come out of that dark time and so As it helped me, I wanted to spread it around and help other people from, you know, feeling like they were stuck and it was never going to get any better.
0: Right. So, is that what was your biggest inspiration to choose the career that you're in? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It changed my life so much that I wanted to spread it around. You know, everyone deserves the liberation of knowing that it paradoxically, self-discipline makes us feel free it is you know there's endorphins in working out and in meditating and in stretching and in slowing down and in noticing and there's an aliveness that comes and the extra work is worth it and it doesn't seem like it is but the feeling it produces is the feeling we're all longing for
0: Right. right right is is there anything else that you would like to do
1: is there anything else that i would like to do in the world in life? sure see the rest of the planet i've been
0: nice.
1: dabbling and traveling the last couple of years and it's been really good and so more of that i love this planet um but there's i mean i've got tons of business ideas and all kinds of nice. ambitions. The fire never dies. It just it just gets stoked higher and higher. Right?
0: Yeah, more and more plans and ideas.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. So that means we got to live longer so that we can accomplish all these things.
1: <laughs> right. That's the plan. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Um, so then, with all these little desires in this fire, if you could do or be anything at all without any possibility of failure what would it be
1: helpful kind compassionate empathetic uh i would be you know in in yoga we talk about as as instructors that we're helping to unfold the path for other people you know to to lay out in front of them where we have already been and that is all you know to be able to to walk beside others and give them you know the freedom the the key the joy the inspiration
0: speak from experience Mm -hmm. right okay nice so you do a lot of this stuff already so what what do you do in your spare time to take your mind off things
1: um, well, I work out here in my gym, and we have a big dog. We have a big Bernese Mountain Dog. He's 120 pounds. He gets lost. <laughs> I love to cook. Uh, I love drinking great coffee, and yeah, yoga in the park, travel around the world, <laughs>
0: nice.
1: Relearn how to swim.
0: Things like that.
1: Lots of right. audiobooks. I listen to audiobooks relentlessly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I scuba dive because I can't swim. At least I got air in my mouth so I can do whatever. Yeah.
1: Well, I I'm learning with a snorkel mask, which is like these full face masks. Yeah. With the the little ball the that makes it so you don't drown on on the water if you tip the, the snorkel in. They're brilliant.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. that's my biggest problem is with a snorkel I do drown.
1: Yeah. I know.
0: Yeah, it's brutal. Um,
1: and I, and I couldn't swim my whole life, but I just, I got taught by somebody who's a world-class swimming teacher last year and yeah, swam in the ocean in
0: Singapore. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I still don't know how to swim. I can dog paddle and I can keep my head above water and that's about it.
1: It's (laughs) new for me. So it's, it requires a, a bunch more practice, but I'm, enthusiastic where before i was very trepidatious very fearful so yeah um and i and i kind of thought that was going to be a life thing but i wasn't an ambition to learn so nice i'm getting there
0: nice Mm -hmm. yeah what is the biggest lesson in life so far that you think you've learned
1: know yourself if you know yourself then you can know others Awesome. You know, if you know why you do what you do, you can know why others do what they do. And you can really understand. And that that solves so much hurt. You know, it it gives birth to intimacy and creativity and and understanding and connection. So
0: Nice. Awesome. What is one thing that you've accomplished so far in your life that you are most proud of? What is one thing that
1: I've accomplished so far in my life that I am most proud of? Um, You know, the most, oh, the most memorable thing, I guess. This is a tough one. <laughs> um, you know, coming through being suicidal, finally coming out on the other side and, and doing a grandiose amount of work to to transform who I was, how I thought in the path that my life was taking, that, you know, that's it. But the most memorable thing is getting my high school diploma at 35. You know, I had this crazy BS story about what I couldn't do because I didn't have it. And I had already owned a business for 10 years.
0: Oh, yeah. At that
1: point in time, you know, like a, a solopreneurship. So it was crazy. And it didn't change anything except for what was in my head and my story about myself and my worth. Um, so yeah that too
0: <laughs> nice that's it's amazing that you can make that transformation and yeah. come out on the other side a such a blessing yeah such a blessing that's uh awesome. wouldn't
1: would not have ever believed it could happen and then i went through it and so i guess i'm spreading the message
0: it, it takes you to a whole new level doesn't it
1: yeah it really does mm-hmm. yeah
0: Um, If you could go back in your life and change one thing, what would it be?
1: If I could go back in my life and change one thing, I would go back to my young self and I would unlearn every fear.
0: Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'd keep the healthy respect for things that were dangerous, but I'd unlearn every fear so that, um, you know, I couldn't. Yeah. When you look at a child and how unbridled they are in their pursuit yeah. of what they want, it's,
0: yeah. it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Their imagination and their yeah. exploratory exploringness and, and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. yeah, and they're so curious and they're so persistent. And they don't, you know, they don't really, they're not self conscious about who's watching. Right. And they're right. willing to celebrate every tiny win. It's gorgeous.
0: So. Yeah, if we yeah. could all do that, you know, <laughs> yeah. learn, learn from the kids. But I think as time goes on, we kind of get squished that we got to fit into this little mold.
1: We do. And I mean, we're in a, yeah, we're, we're in a time right now, um, 2020, there's a lot of fear perpetuated by our media. Yeah. So we, we, as grownups, we're living pretty fearful lives.
0: Yeah. I saw a little, uh, cartoon the other day. It said, had one picture, guy watching TV, watching the news and underneath the caption said, what can we do to have less fear in our life? And the next picture, it showed him clicking off the TV. Yeah, (laughs) right.
1: I yeah, we haven't had a television service in a long time, and so we like we have Netflix, and that's it. Yeah. Um. So we don't really expose ourselves to that. Yeah. Uh, Aaron does a little bit. My husband, he's a little bit. He seeks a little bit more for it, and is a little bit more politically interested. But I understand that the media is quite sensational. Yeah. And uh, I, I just I don't want I don't want to get on their bandwagon
0: again. I think there's there's a, a kind of a fine line between knowing a little bit about what's going on in the world but getting bombarded with everything that uh, directs the way your life is going. Yeah. Right? I mean it it knowing stuff has its own benefits.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: but you don't have to be bombarded with it and, and have it direct your life.
1: Well, and writers write the story of what people are going to say. And we watch TV because it's entertaining. So writers are going to write, right? What's going to be entertaining. Yeah. yeah, And they are writing a story. It is, it is, it's crafted into a tale that is meant to keep your interest. And so, it's not the good, warm, and fuzzy things that tend to keep our interest for very long. It is what terrorizes us. Yeah. That keeps our attention.
0: Yep, exactly.
1: So I refuse to participate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, Nancy and I, we watch very little news or media at all. You mm-hmm. know, and, and yeah. like you said, we watch a little bit of TV, just some shows that are interesting, and that's it. You know, that's kind of where it ends. Yeah. So you choose
1: to, Jim Rohn says, uh, you, you must stand guard at the gate of your mind, you know. Um, you got to know what's coming in because it's going to influence what's coming out.
0: Well, thoughts become things, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what one thing in your past do you think has given you your greatest life lesson?
1: my entire teenagehood, which was very tumultuous. It was, it was a really tough time. You know, I moved out against my parents' wishes when I was quite young. Um, and of course they were very, they were reluctantly supportive of me. I wouldn't have made it without them, but I went out on my own, you know, um, I had already been very troubled for a long time, you know, had been in and out of the hospital, had been on medication, um, went from junior high school to high school and just, it was, a, it was an equally rough transition as it was from elementary to junior high school, but for different reasons. And so I just ended up leaving, you know, I dropped out, uh, always thought that I wasted my smart brain and <laughs> I, there's some irony there, but um you know, I kind of bargained with myself about when I was going to go back and that I was going to go back. And if I didn't have a skill and I was going to go get one and I did. And, and, um, it's not what I ended up doing, but in the time that I was going through that, you know, I moved up to Edmonton and I lived with five people in a two bedroom apartment and we didn't have enough keys for the door. So we came in and out of the windows and it's, it's cold up there. Right. Um, I worked in a pet store and at an auto detailing place in the summer and, um, you know, we all had a, a card to the food bank cause we were poor. And so the, the lessons of those times and how to get by when things are really gritty, um, and just keep pushing, that's been really helpful you know, to come out of the depression and say, I can't, I can't, I can't push. I can't be anything. I can't do anything. I don't deserve to live. I don't, you know, I don't have it in me to show up, um, to be, to, to get to this place where it's like, Hey, now I need to survive. That was probably the greatest life lesson, you know, okay. to, say, to understand, like things can get pretty, pretty dark and pretty scary and you can make it through on the other side and it gets better.
0: Yeah. Okay, so then with that being said, you've talked about your younger self a couple times. If you could write a letter to your younger self, what age would it be and what advice would you give?
1: Hmm. Um, I would probably write to my 10-year-old self. Um, Because my, my 14 year old self would need to know not to try and fit in because I was just as, that was, that was my life desire. I wanted a place to fit in. Uh, And I never felt like I was in a place with people I belonged with outside of my family, like my mom and my dad, my family of origin. Um, Even in my extended family of origin growing up, I didn't feel like I fit in. Okay. My my first, you know, the first time I ever felt that way, I was 35. So I would write a letter to my 10 year old self and say, you know, don't try and fit in. You're not built for that. You, you know, you will have lots of great deep relationships. Don't be afraid that you're going to lack any kind of deep connection or lovingness or understanding or closeness with other people. Just understand you don't get to You don't get to keep them necessarily. Right. And the relationships that you want are not what you think they are.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. Just, just be the best you that you can be and don't be afraid to be you.
1: Yeah. And understand that sometimes it's lonely and that's okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny that sometimes we look for the loneliness, right? That, that alone time and, yeah, be able to reflect on our own things and
1: oh man now yeah right? so now that I'm a little bit further away from my 18th birthday yeah. I love to spend time with myself you know right love it yeah took years for me to get there though
0: yeah for sure and that's mm-hmm. where so you know the meditation and the yoga and stuff you mm-hmm. you do a lot of that and you do a lot of self-healing and self-awareness work
1: yes, yes. Yeah, and have been doing that for 20 years, 20 plus
0: years. Ever since you found yourself?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I've been working on myself. I was working on myself and was lost for a long time. Okay. Right, you know, I started working on myself when I was 15 and I was very lost up until I was 27. Okay. That's when, really when a big shift happened for me, right? Um And all that time I was doing my work, that that in that time, I was slogging through the work like I'd cement boots on, like I was very resistant to it, and I didn't find teachers, counselors, helpers that really resonated with me until I was substantially older.
0: But you um, you kept looking like, you, oh
1: yeah, you, I knew you that knew, knew that you was-
0: had to get through it.
1: I knew it had to be better than that. If I knew if I was going to live, if I was going to actually stay alive, it needed to get better. Like I could not live where I was at. I was miserable, you know, and I didn't know a lot of that misery was, was self-created. You don't know when you're, when you're always fearful of the worst of what's going to happen and your brain is programmed as an animal you know, mechanism to, to spool it over and over and over again in the back of your mind that you are in danger, you don't know that you're ruining your own quality of life with your own rumination of fear, right? Right. I lived like that for, from the time I was young, really young, I was a fearful kid um, and bullied, you know, really bullied. So I lived that way probably from the time I was six or seven until, you know, I was 35. I was 35 when I really started dumping a lot of my fears. I'd done a lot of work before then, Um, but it it was really slow at first.
0: Was there a point or, or I guess I shouldn't say it that way. What was the point or the one thing that made you realize that transition?
1: there was no like, one thing
0: like like there wasn't an aha moment that kind of
1: there were there were explosions of aha moments it was like a garden of fireworks of aha moments in my brain over the course of several years um, many of which involved incredible thinkers and right authors you know writers speakers okay. Um, Robin Sharma, Deepak Chopra, Eckhart Tolle, Tony Robbins, Jim Barone, Zig Ziglar, people of incredible influence, you know, um, Brendan Burchard, Kerwin Ray, and, you know, there, uh, there are so many people now whose work I'm deeply interested in, um, Brene Brown, Dr. John Gottman, this is, this is because I've really gotten into studying people and their intimate and interpersonal relationships, Esther Perel right um incredible role models
0: nice it's amazing cuz Nancy and I read a lot of that stuff and watch a lot of the yeah. videos and yeah it's it's amazing motivational inspirational stuff things yeah, that it's... you can really read and relate to and you can actually see how that would make a difference
1: yes I, these thought leaders have written basically the handbook to living, you know, the guidebook that we didn't come with, the instruction manual.
0: right? Yeah.
1: And yeah, it's, it feels really nice to be seen and understood and have somebody describe on the next level, you know, what it is you'd like to be feeling and how to get it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Awesome. Um, how, what is your idea of perfect happiness?
1: I don't believe in perfect happiness because I believe that happiness is fleeting in my experience, moments of happiness as, as I would define it, come and go really quickly. Um, I think that what people are really seeking for is fulfillment. Okay. You know, fulfillment is a a deeper, um, feeling uh, more of a low, long rumbling feeling Whereas happiness is like a high-pitched squeak right, or squeal. Right. And it ends very quickly. Um, seconds. Happiness is seconds, whereas fulfillment can last for minutes and hours and days and weeks and years. And it's something you can condition by living a life that you're truly proud of and by being who you want to be, by deciding who you want to be and understanding what that might look like or feel like, and then go in pursuit of it.
0: Nice. Nice. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: How important is family in your life?
1: hundred percent. Family first. Family over everything. Mm -hmm.
0: Even when it's rocky times.
1: Even when it's rocky times. That is the anchor, the value that I come from. I'm very blessed to come from an incredible family. People who loved me when I was hardest to love—it has been the most pivotal um, anchor in my life.
0: Nice. And now you've built your own great family that you're involved in now.
1: I know. Yeah. I'm very blessed.
0: It's amazing. I
1: have, I have so much to be blessed with in the way of
0: family. That's excellent. Mm -hmm. How important is it to have? good, positive relationships in your life?
1: If you are suffering in any of your relationships, you are suffering in all of the other areas of your life. It just takes up too much of our attention, it takes up too much of our brain matter, our nervous system, hyper-responding. Again, running a loop of fear when your relationships are are in chaos or disorder. So it's so important to have harmony Um have growth together to have a deep level of connection to be able to understand each other and there we can really show up we can really be ourselves we can live a fully lived life you know that is full of purpose and meaning which contribute to our sense of fulfillment okay Mm -hmm.
0: what about being positive so how important is it to have a positive attitude with in all your dealings with Family, friends, work, or even positive attitude in your alone time.
1: Well, um, like again, Tony Robbins says, "What you focus on, you feel." So, and he also says, "What's wrong is always available. So is what's right." And no matter how you, how thin you slice it, those two sides are always there. You know, so. Um, to what kind of what quality of life you want to have if you think that life should be uh, a war a battle and you're looking for things to wage war against and to stand against um, that is the life you're going to have and if that makes you happy that that's perfect right or fulfilled or right. um, you know whatever it is you're striving for whatever your outcome your end game is I, you know, what's most fulfilling to me, and I I didn't know this, it's not my natural disposition, but what's most fulfilling is to see what I can be grateful for, to see the, you know, what's, what's in the half full cup and, and recognize it for its miraculousness and its beauty to understand the science of it, to think about it from its tiniest part to its largest effect. And Really marvel and it improves, I believe, the quality of life. You know, we really feel alive. So, to think of that as a positive mindset, I think is whitewashing it a little bit, but that's really what it is. It's seeing like there is, for everything that's absolutely wrong, you can find, you know, two to 10 times the amount of things that are absolutely right about anything or anyone. And you get to decide which life you want to live
0: right right it's that's that's kind of like i've read a few times and i've heard it from other people the the indian chief that talks to his young brave about the two the two wolves in your head you have Mm -hmm. the wolf of good and the wolf of fear and he said it's up to you which one you want to feed right so yeah
1: absolutely um but there's there's no mistaking there are some people that want to want to it's like is maybe not the right term but who are addicted to punishing themselves
0: well i think they thrive on that energy mm-hmm. right there's a there's definitely a. Uh, I mean it's like skydiving there's right? a high there's that anger. high that goes with it mm-hmm. For or sure. that that rush you know, yeah, and yeah, there's and there's a load to
1: sadness, which can also be very addictive, like downer drugs. So uh, there is. I mean, there's a there's a really neat teaching from the Robbins Madonna's course about the crazy eight. The crazy eight is a, a pattern of thinking that we get in where. Um, our nervous system goes from angry to sad, from sad to angry, from angry to sad, from sad to angry. And we stay on this loop because we can't stay in one state for any long period of time, um, but we get addicted to the drug of this inside of our body. Right. And so either we come out by doing something you know that grows us out of the situation where we become better, or we do something that is escapism that takes us down deeper into a hole where we kind of bury and smush down these feelings and then end up coming back to them over and over and over again. And they fester.
0: Right. If, if there was somebody that you could have lunch with and, and a chat, anybody dead or alive, who would it be?
1: To have lunch with in a chat well it would probably be the Dalai Lama he's a pretty cool guy
0: yeah
1: um you know his laugh is infectious he's really cool in that way it's a tough call though because I'd love to I'd love to sit down with my grandparents who are no okay. longer in this world you know and talk to the the grandpa I never met and then my Nana that's been gone for a long time. And my grandma and grandpa would be really cool to sit down and have lunch with all of them together.
0: Awesome. That would be, yeah, there's, there's always things like that. Like my family too, there's ones that I miss or, or never met that it would be neat to chat with, but there is definitely figures in history that would be interesting to, To pick their brain and see what you know what they think of life and stuff oh yeah that's awesome Mm -hmm. if you could live anywhere in the world where would it be
1: well at this point in time it would be in bali cool for a Um, long time it was california and then i went to bali yeah and i did not want to come home (laughs) nice (laughs) had i not just gotten married and gained a new family. <laughs> you, I would not have come home. Have. I, I probably would have stayed.
0: Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Um. What kind of music makes you happy or gives you a, a thrill? What What's your go to for feel good music?
1: It depends on the situation. You know, when I'm when I'm counting an inventory, um, at a at a live event, it's you know Nora Jones when i am having dinner or i'm cooking or i'm celebrating or i'm um, just getting out of the shower often it's uh michael bubley i love casey musgraves um i love mary nice. morris it's things that i can sing to things that move my body and my spirit nice.
0: yeah nice Thanks um but be. i do
1: love a good heavy Uplifting. concert. like i've been to yeah, I've been to, to Ozfest and I've seen Metallica and I, and I love the energy of a, of a five finger death punch. is actually one of my favorites
0: grunge, <laughs> <grunge> bands. Bands.
1: <laughs> to go and see them. Well, they're actually a, a more of a metal, uh, a rock metal band, but yeah. Yeah. They awesome. put on an amazing show, you know,
0: so. Well, and there's a different rush that goes with that too, right?
1: Huge. You know. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I yeah. I'm a music lover. I've been to, yeah. to dozens and dozens and
0: dozens of concerts. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, me as well. All, all through my growing up years, I've been to many concerts. And I listen to everything from, I always tell everybody, from Alvin and the Chipmunks to ZZ Top. Like, okay, so who's one,
1: one person you would see, dead or alive, that you haven't seen yet
0: in the musical world? Sit down, have lunch with, and a chat?
1: no go to their concert
0: oh to go to their concert yeah that I, that I haven't seen yet
1: that you haven't seen
0: um that is a hard one i've seen so many i would i would love to see guns and roses back in the day
1: oh nice i saw guns and roses but it wasn't yeah. back in the day
0: no, I would. I would have liked when they were big in the eighties. That's yeah. when I would have liked to seen them. Like
1: yeah, I saw them right like in the
0: 10, middle of their hey
1: years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. That.
0: That. I think that would be one that I would love to see. Yeah. Now, if you that's... went country, it would have to be probably um, Alabama. Oh, really? I nice. That, that would be good. Yeah. Yeah. Alabama. Oh, yeah.
1: Sweet. For me, it would be Bonnie Raitt for sure. She's oh, yeah. the one musical idol I have. I've never seen in concert.
0: Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've seen, I've seen some really good ones. I've seen like Alan Jackson and Kenny Rogers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, What the heck's his name? Uh, Kenny Loggins. Mm-hmm. You know, I've yeah. seen, I've seen the Carpenters. I've seen, uh, Captain and Tennille, I've seen Rush, I've seen Sticks and Prism and April Wine multiple times. Probably like yeah, I've and, seen
1: all them too. Yep.
0: You know, I saw Heart and Blue Oyster called Ted Nugent. Like, I've I've had a pretty good run with concerts and stuff, and it's been amazing. I saw Brian Adams before he came real big. We saw him in the Jubilee Auditorium in Edmonton.
1: Nice. I got to cook some French fries once at a restaurant. Oh, did you? was playing in Lafridge. Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's my claim to fame. (laughs) Right. It's amazing
0: though. It's like, it's such a, there's such a rush to it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's awesome.
1: Music brings us together, man. There's nothing like, so I didn't know this because I went to heavy concerts for a long time, like really like God smack and, Um, I mean, this is, this is back in the day I saw ACDC and I was really hanging out with people who loved heavy music. So they were introducing me to concert going and it was, it was really pretty, like, um, you know, mosh pit and, (laughs) you know, people dressing up in metal and studs and leather and cargo pants and all kinds of stuff like that. Right. Headbanging and, and I loved it. And then I went to my very first country concert and everybody was like, Hey, where are you from? Let me buy Kick. you a drink. Everybody sang along. I was like yeah,
0: everybody's what? kicked back, Great. relaxing with their yeah, feet up."
1: yeah. I had been to Ozfest <laughs> and I had been to, you know on the band's warp tour and yeah. and so then all of a sudden here I am at a I think it was a Brad Paisley concert, it might have been my
0: first Oh nice. Country I concept, and everybody
1: him. sings along. Oh gosh, it was so good. He actually did like a holographic projection um, of Allison Krauss uh, when, because of course she wasn't there in person. But they have a, a duet song that they do together, and it's one of my favorites. And it was the coolest thing. Like you could tell she was gigantic, but she looked like she was really there. It was amazing. <laughs> And it was such That's a cool awesome. concert, you know, when the the energy of the whole room singing along to every song. You don't get that at at any other concert, at any rock or pop culture concert. Even like I've seen, I've seen um, the Beach Boys and Elton John. Nice. But you know, people, the artists who people whose whose songs people really know by heart. But you get, you don't get that same feel as you do at a country concert because everyone knows yeah. the words to every song. Yeah. and so that became my favorite concert going experience
0: excellent yeah that's mm-hmm. awesome
1: yeah
0: i i went and saw april wine in edmonton years ago i was i don't know i was probably 16 17 mm-hmm. and so i'd i'd seen them come on they played i i wasn't sitting right close to the stage but i was close enough great experience and you know probably it was probably my third concert and it was not i had never been to one that big
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they came on they played they left they came on for an encore that night they did five encores
1: wow
0: yeah and and so the next day in the newspaper this is back when <laughs> when you only had newspapers they were talking about miles good when they interviewed him. And he said they have never, ever played more than three encores. They always prepare for three. And playing three is very rare. He says usually it's two. And they they just gauge it by the group, by the crowd, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So when they came on for their third encore, they did it. And they <laughs> left. And, of course, they turned on the lights, right? Yeah. And everybody's supposed to leave. Well, nobody left. And the place was just going crazy screaming and hollering and the band came back out and by then you know people are starting to take down the tarps and the screens and everything and the band came out and miles goodwin says like uh we don't usually do this so you're gonna get <laughs> songs that we've already played and they played three more songs wow. and then they said good night they left nobody left the whole crowd was screaming and the roadies started taking down the equipment and the band came back on again (laughs) and and they were basically pushing the roadies out of the way of course the roadies have a job to do they got to get things prepared right
1: (laughs) they want to get home they want to have a drink they want exactly
0: so they're trying to push these guys away so they could play more songs again same songs we heard before but but so and they we're could on the road at an
1: ungodly time in the morning, yeah.
0: Right, and at the end of it, well, the last song they played, I think Jerry Mercer only had his bass drum and one snare left because <laughs> they were taking parts on him. But he was still playing, and it was just it's incredible. like a
1: garage party. That's that's perfect.
0: It yeah. is. And then when we left the stadium, this was at the old Edmonton Coliseum. Mm-hmm. We had been walking towards the LRT and we're walking along Of course your ears are ringing and everything and you've got that kind of noise in your head but it's not noise it's just quiet Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden somebody would start cheering and we're outside now and it just would go crazy for about two or three minutes and then it would die down and then we'd be walking some more and then it would happen again and like all the way along into the tunnel to the LRT, on the train, everything mm-hmm, it was just mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. probably the most incredible concert I've ever been to. That's just awesome. just for those experiences. It yeah, was awesome. it was amazing. But yeah. Bands and music make me happy. And I I, I love listening to music. When we get up in the morning, I always turn on the radio or the stereo or whatever and listen.
1: Yeah, me too.
0: So if you with your music, if you were stranded on a desert island, your device mm-hmm. that you had, like your electronics that we have nowadays, if it okay. could only play one song over and over, but it would never <sighs> stop, what song would that be?
1: Hunger Strike, Temple of the Dogs. Temple yeah. Okay. Temple of the Dog, yeah. Um, well, I can remember where I was when I first heard that song. Actually,
0: and where would that be?
1: It was when I moved to Edmonton. Oh, yeah, uh, and they played it on the radio. And a gr- my girlfriend that I grew up with sang harmony with it. And I was like, Where did you learn to sing like that? And where did this <laughs> song come from? And uh, yes, by far, the Temple of the Dog album is my favorite album of all music of all time. Um, it is the one I only had one album on my phone for the longest time, and that was it
0: nice Mm -hmm. so you would you would never get sick of it hey
1: Uh, if it played all the time all day every day while i was stranded on a desert island um you'd
0: you'd walk around with yours plugged sometimes
1: i might
0: get a little (laughs) bit sick
1: of it over time but it is a tried and true yeah it will always be part of the repertoire of songs i love yeah
0: nice awesome Mm -hmm. okay so one final question Erin Coe has gone through her life. She's accomplished everything she's ever wanted to Achieved all her goals. She's become the most amazing person and smartest and (laughs) and most intelligent that she could ever be. And when she passes on, she has to take all of that with her. And nobody here would know who Erin Coe was. Yes. But you're allowed to leave behind three lessons for life. for the generations, what would that be?
1: (laughs) The lessons that I already know are the lessons, the things that I wish I knew.
0: The the lessons Um, that you would leave behind for the future generations.
1: It is our compassion for one another, our sameness, and understanding that sameness and that oneness that resolves our suffering. Nice. And that suffering builds our character but it's not where we're meant to live. We are meant to live fully alive lives. So those would be the first two. Um, and the last one would be, you know, if I could instill the wisdom in everybody's cells to love fully and, you know, absolve themselves as, of as much fear as they possibly could. Um, or be able to step back from fear and go, oh, hi, look, there it is. You know, there is fear. There is
0: recognize the instinct
1: it. of the animal. And and to recognize it. And re- to recognize that you don't have to to engage with it all the time. Um, that would be the third lesson. It's a, it's one I'm still learning myself. Nice. You
0: know? Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. Yeah, That is awesome. I love a lot of the stuff you've shared. I, I hope that people listening and watching really resonate with some of this and people that have gone through their own experiences can relate, you yeah. know? And I hope hope lots of things we talk about, people can see and say, hey, yeah, good idea. We should do that or try that or whatever. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, Erin, for joining me. That's, it's awesome. I, I enjoy talking with you all the time, even when we, you know, meet in my home. Yeah. Or out or wherever. I enjoy it for
1: having me Troy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Me, me as well.
0: It's awesome. Um, again, you know, thanks for taking your time away from your schedule to be with us. I'm Troy Hudkins. This is lessons for life and, uh, tune in later for another podcast and a new guest and life is a journey and make every moment count. Thank you.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Troy.